And Heavenly Father, we, we gather this morning to say thank you for your incredible, infinite, eternal love and goodness towards us. And that while we were yet sinners, you sent your son, Jesus, to die for us, to remove sin's stain and sin's penalty, to give us eternal life. And so we gather to say thank you. And I admit it again this morning, mind is anxious, worried, and bothered about so many things. So Father, I want to repent and ask that you would fill me with your spirit to speak your truth to your children, that we might find our hope, our strength, our joy, and our peace in your son, Jesus Christ, so that as that truth, that light, that life and love radiate through us, that this world of darkness might see the delight that's available in Jesus, and they might come and put their faith in him. So I pray you do a work in us this morning. I pray you strengthen me, calm my heart, my mind, that I might be able to point to your son for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen and welcome. So glad you're here. Before I get started, I'm supposed to make an announcement, and I can't remember exactly what it is. So give me a... I know, it's super funny. I totally forgot it last night, too. Oh, 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 Christmas is coming up. We've got a Christmas Eve service, one, three, or five. That's on Christmas Eve. That's on a Saturday. Sunday, the 25th, we're not having a service. I want you to stay at home and celebrate with your families. I want you to, to make memories with your families. So no, serv- no service Christmas Day here. Now, New Year's Eve, that's a Saturday. We don't have a Saturday service. Anybody here go to the Saturday service? Okay, a couple. Four, yeah, no Saturday service, New Year's Eve, but New Year's Day, we do have a 9 and 11. I think that's true. Any, any of my team here can back me up on any of that. We got thumbs up. Awesome. That's a great start to the service. Newcomers, guests, visitors, so glad you're here. This is Hillside. We believe Jesus changes everything. Historically, he has changed everything. Currently, he is changing everything through the church. And ultimately, eternally, Jesus is coming back and he'll say, he'll make a brand new proclamation. There's no longer any death, mourning, crying, or pain. I've made all things new. So we love to get together and celebrate the fact that Jesus has, is, and will change everything. And I know you don't hear about it on the news because Fox, CNN, ABC, CBS, they'll never report somebody who gets saved, whose marriage is saved, family saved, life has changed. They'd rather report chaos blood in the streets than the beauty of a changed life. But Jesus is changing everything. He has changed and is changing me. My name is Dave. I've got new life in Christ. And just so happens I'm a recovering addict and alcoholic, saved by grace. So I know I've got a bunch of my recovery community here this morning. So glad you're here. Uh, Jesus, if you'd surrender to him today, I know some of you are only 24 hours clean. As you surrender to him, he'll change you today. He'll actually walk you through the first three steps. You'll realize your life is an unmanageable mess because of sin. But if you'll, if you'll come to believe that Jesus can change you and make that decision to surrender your life to Jesus, he'll change everything. So we've been looking at uh, really the byproducts of knowing Jesus. That's what Advent is. Peace, knowing peace, is a byproduct of knowing Jesus. You can't pursue peace deals without Jesus. Peace is a byproduct of knowing the Prince of Peace, Jesus. So we looked at that through the book of Matthew. We looked at joy through the book of Mark. Jesus is a servant. This world will never never teach you where true joy is. Joy is found in 
sacrificing, surrendering yourself for the well-being of another like Jesus did. That's where joy is found. Joy is a byproduct of actually serving your spouse, serving your community, serving your kids, getting outside of yourself. It's better to give to receive. That joy comes from knowing Jesus. Today, we're going to look at hope. It's a squishy word. You know, it's like a little squishable. People don't know what to do with it. We all hope, hope this, hope that, don't know what to do with hope. Essential word. I'll, I'll walk you through it today. Let me read. We're going to look through the book of Luke at this, this theme of hope. Hope is a byproduct of knowing Jesus as well. I'm going to read Luke chapter 2, verses 1 through 7, and then I'm going to show you a bunch of hope killers, false hope, things our society says, put your hope in that, but they'll kill your hope. So I hope to offend everybody this morning equally for the glory of God, because we'll look at politics, we'll look at possessions, we'll look at popularity and prominence and all of this stuff that we put our hope in. We're going to look at hope killers, and we'll look at hope fillers. The hope filler is Jesus Christ. Let me read it. Luke chapter 2, verses 1 through 7. God says, and Luke writes this, verse 1. Now in those days, a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that a census be taken of all the inhabited earth. This was the first census taken while Quirinius was governor of Syria, and everyone was on his way to register for the census, each to his own city. Joseph went up, uh, also went up from Galilee, from the city of Nazareth, to Judea, to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and family of David in order to register along with Mary, who was engaged to him and was with child. Well, while they were there, the days were completed for her to give birth, and she gave birth to her firstborn son. And she wrapped him in cloths and laid him in a manger because there was no room for them in the inn. Well, in the same region, there were some shepherds staying out in the field and keeping watch over their flock by night. Now, I'm going to take those. We're going to go through the whole probably clear up to verse 24, hopefully, if the morning goes well. If not, I don't know what we're going to do, but we'll have fun doing it. Uh, if you read through the Bible, um, one of the character attributes, the characteristics of God, the one true God, the creator of heaven and earth, the one who sustains everything, if you read through the Bible, uh, one of the huge characteristics of God shows up that God is a God of hope. Go ahead and pull up Romans 15, 13. I'll show you. I'll just build the scaffolding of concept. Uh, in, Ro in Romans chapter 15, verse 13, it says this. Now, may the God of hope. Now, hope is a future-oriented word. Hope looks out and hope comes back and tells you, is the future thumbs up good or is the future thumbs down bad? So hope is always future-oriented. It goes out, it comes back, and it tells you, are things good or bad? Now, God's a God of all hope. That is, he goes out, he comes back, and he says, listen, I want to fill you with all joy, and because Jesus is timeless, he is the great I am, he is neither past, present, nor future, he is, and he comes back and says, listen, I want you to know that the future is all good. It's all thumbs up, I've been there, I know it, I see it, I inhabit it, I conquered it, I own it and it's all super duper good. You're getting to know love and joy and peace and patience, goodness, kindness, gentleness for all eternity. So as Christians, we look at the God of hope and our hearts are filled with hope because the future, super duper hopeful. Now in the Bible, there's also a small theological picture 
Genesis 3, sin enters into the world. Go ahead and pull up 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 13. Now because of sin, do you know that this world is hopeless? Let, let me show you. Uh, 1 Thessalonians 4.13, speaking about death. Paul's instructing the church at Thessalonica about death. He tells them, I don't want you to be uninformed, brethren, about those who are, who are asleep or who have died so that you will not grieve as do the rest who have no hope. This world is hopeless. Christians are filled with hope because the future is super duper awesome. In this world, it is hopeless. I find Ernest Hemingway's thoughts and works on death to be incredibly honest, and I enjoy them. If you've ever read through Death in the Afternoon, Death in the Afternoon, he went down to Spain, bullfighting, he wrote, wrote a novel about it. In that novel, he made one of the most astounding statements ever. He says, in this world, there are no happily ever afters. For every story carried out far enough ends with death. Yeah, every single princess in Disney story is rubbish. Right? And that's helpful because we're, we raise kids where they all lived happily ever after. Except that's not true in this world because every story carried out far enough ends with death. This world is hopeless. And in fact, in college, this is what we spend hundreds of thousands of dollars for them to teach us. Every area of study I took, it took me close to eight years to get my undergrad because I'm an overachiever. And... <laughs> No, actually, I didn't know what I wanted to do. I just bumbled around and took a whole bunch of classes. But do you know every area and discipline of study I found, everyone agrees this, this world ends, and it ends really epically poorly. Now, we disagreed on how. You know, biology, it was like, oh, it's pandemic. You bleed out your eyes, and you sneeze blood, and it's horrible. Zombie. Uh, in, in meteorology class, it was, no, an asteroid. It's hit before, it'll hit again. There's an asteroid that's passing 2.4 million miles and it's gonna kill us. Everybody agreed it ended. We all die, we all agreed on that. It was just what level of terror is attached to that and can Bruce Willis save us? <laughs> right, that's what most movies in Hollywood are about. We'll get The Rock, there'll be earthquakes and horrible, but The Rock will save us. So there is no hope in this world. In the gospel, something amazing happens because the Bible agrees, yes, this whole system, Romans 1.20, is subject to futility. It's all falling apart. Therefore, someone came from outside of this world, entered this world. 1 Peter 1.3 says it this way. He caused us, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who according to his great mercy has caused us to be born again to a living hope in the Christian because Jesus came, he was born of a virgin, lived a sinless, miraculous life, died on the cross, was buried, rose again. He's caused us through faith to be born again. He comes to live in us so that every day we're faced with darkness, disease, depression, death, deflation, all kinds of chaos. But the Christian walks through and says, yeah, but in all eternity, everything's super duper awesome. So I'm filled with hope and therefore I can abound in hope for the glory of God. What I'm going to show you today through Luke chapter 2 is that sin kills hope. This is such a huge point. I, know, I don't want anybody to raise your hands. As somebody who struggled with clinical depression and suicidal ideation and, and tendencies perpetually through youth, uh, I found that my problem was that hope had been killed. As I looked out, there was nothing to look forward to. My days were gray, everything was sad, everything was bad. 
This is what sin does. It is a hope killer. Misplaced hope is harmful. I'm gonna say this multiple times. Misplaced hope is harmful because it's hollow. The enemy wants to kill hope because he knows when your hope has been killed, you're depressed, you're deflated, you're discouraged, and you ultimately disengage. If you've lost hope, you will disengage from your spouse. You will disengage as a dude from your family. You will disengage from work. You will disengage from society, from culture. This is what hopelessness does. So today, through the gospel, I just want to pour abundant hope into you that Christ Jesus is coming back, that Christ Jesus is going to rule and reign, and Christ Jesus is good for his word, and he is going to make all things new. Therefore, I want to fill your hearts with hope so that you might abound in joy and peace and love because our world desperately needs the gospel lived out through Christians who are filled with hope. So let's start out. I'm going to show you some hope killers and then the hope filler. And I can guarantee you it will offend. And that's the point. <laughs> right? I know you've all grown up and, and you know, we all want super duper safe spaces where nobody will offend. Go to college. <laughs> the church is actually here to offend those things that are stupid. Amen? Like <laughs> stupidity kills, it hurts, it harms, it wounds family, it, it, it hurts society. So yes, we should offend. So let's look at some hope killers, things that if you're putting your hope in, I can tell you where you'll be 15 years from now. Depressed, dejected, discouraged, disillusioned, disengaged, deflated. Let's look at the first hope killer. It's called politics. Total fat, false bandwagon. Listen, I'll say it again and again, and I know I'll have people get up and walk out and be like, Dave's missed the mark. If he would only preach politics, we could save our nation. No, Jesus will save the nation if we'll humble ourselves, put our, put our faith in him. Politics won't. But watch where the gospel story, the birth of Christ, starts out. It starts out with a political goat rodeo. I'll show you. Pull up verses one through three. You don't believe me, but in li literature class, you took... You, Shakespeare and, and, and the whole Julius Caesar thing. I took Roman history. I never knew that Jesus Christ was at the epicenter of all of that. You, you see, because our world will always miss the headline and they'll make a footnote, the headline and the headline a footnote. Watch this. Here's the, here's the goat rodeo. Now, in those days, a decree went out from... Do you know what Caesar Augustus' name was before it was Caesar Augustus? When, everybody be when somebody became Caesar, they changed their name. Do you know what his name was before it was Caesar Augustus? Octavian. Octavian. Thanks, Bill. That's legit. It was Octavian. Why does that matter? I'll show you. So in those days, a decree went out from Caesar Augustus, who was the, he, he was the Caesar, that a census be taken of all the inhabited earth. Do you know why you take a census? Do you know why nations take census, censuses? Taxes, good. Verse two, here's the goat rodeo. This was the first census taken while Quirinius was governor of Syria. Verse three, and everyone was on his way to register for the census, each to his own city. Everybody was heading home to register so they could pay taxes. Why were they paying taxes? Let me walk you through a little story. It's a true story. It's called history. You see, Julius Caesar was the Caesar but you've read about and heard about Julius Caesar getting assassinated by the Senate. 
et tu brute, beware the Ides of March. Anybody? Am I registering with anybody? Now, before that had happened, Caesar, Julius Caesar had adopted a son named Octavian because he didn't have any of his own sons. He had a daughter, Octaviana. They weren't very creative with names back then, were they? So he adopted Octavian, but then Julius Caesar got assassinated. So the Senate came up with this way of leadership called the Second Triumvirate, where they put Octavian, Mark Antony, and Lepidus in power, three dudes. Those three dudes were like, let's consolidate power. Mark Antony was like, Octavian, your sister, she's, she's fine. I'll marry her, we'll consolidate power, and we'll strengthen this thing called the government. So Mark Antony married Octaviana, but then Mark Antony went on vacation. He didn't take Octaviana with him. He went to Egypt. And in Egypt, he met Cleopatra. Cleopatra VII. And he fell for her. They went on a walk, carved Mark Antony plus Cleopatra VII in an <laughs> Egyptian tree. Well, Octavian got all mad about it because that's my sister. You can't do that. So, they go so Rome goes to war with Egypt. It's called the Battle of Actium. You might have heard of it in history class. Uh, massively expensive war. Octavian wins, Caesar Augustus wins, but he gets back and they're broke. So what does he need to do? Taxes. So this is all Roman history and we love it. And we're like, oh man, Shakespeare, Julius Caesar, all of this. The main point is actually Jesus, but history misses the headline and makes the headline a footnote and the footnote a headline. Here's the false hope. Most of us since the 60s have believed if we can just get government straightened out, America will be saved. Problem with that is our government, governments in this fallen world have always been a goat rodeo, amen? That, and people will tell me, especially conservatives, Dave, it's just never been this bad. And I just look at you like this. Because I think you believe it. It's never been this bad. And I'll say, actually, government has always, always been a goat rodeo. The fact that we keep putting our hope in government and saying if we can just get the executive, legislative, judicial branch all squared away, we'll be great. It's amazing. The fact that we, we can actually put our hope in a broken system to solve our problems when that broken system is actually a goat rodeo. Now, please don't get me wrong. I love the rodeo. As do you. Let's rodeo, essay. Anybody? Every year I take my kids and my whole family to the rodeo. We went again this year. I enjoy the rodeo. I don't hope that the rodeo will solve my life problems, though. I go to the rodeo because I enjoy seeing clowns and carnies. My kids will say, what is that? I'll say, that's a carny. They exist. They're real, right? We'll watch mutton busting. How do you assign mutton busting? Mutton? Yeah. We watch mutton busting, and we have fun watching mutton. And we look at a lot of mullets. <laughs> right? <laughs> Business up front, party in back. And I spend a whole lot of money, drop a lot of cash. This year, it shocked me even more than any other year. My kids saw footlong corn dogs and said, Dad, footlong corn dogs. I said, Yes. I'll take four of those and some fries and an onion bloomer. That's all I got. 
The young lady said, that'll be $96. Legit. I said, squeeze me. Because she almost whispered it. Like, if I whisper it, it'll be $96. And I won't know until I get home and see. See, that is what the rodeo is. I enjoy it for what it is. And I enjoy our government for what it is. The best broken, bad system in a broken world to restrain evil. And I'm grateful for it. But I don't place my hope in that system to redeem my soul. My hope is not in a broken governmental system. My hope is in my Savior, my beautiful Savior, that joined me in this broken system to show me that there's hope beyond the system, that there is a King of kings and a Lord of lords coming that is going to rule and reign supremely and perfectly for all eternity. That's where you'll find your hope fulfilled and not crushed. So, yeah, there's a couple of people on my side. The rest are like, he didn't tell him to vote. I actually think you should vote. I love voting. You should vote. I vote. My wife and I go out on voting dates. You should do it. This year, I was disenfranchised. I was. First year ever. They looked at my license. I mean, this gives me hope for our system. They're really cracking down. This gal looked at my license, looked at my voter registration. She said, we have an anomaly. Yeah, I'm an anomaly. They had three people gathered together, looking at me, looking at the license. Ends up, I've never known how to spell my middle name. <laughs> and so on my license, I spelled Nathaniel I-A-L. On, on my voter's registration, I spelled my Nathaniel A-E-L. On, on my birth certificate, it's spelled I-A-E. I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. So... All of that, for those of you who are upset, you can go home. I said vote because it's fun. I enjoy freedom. I would rather not have tyranny. And I don't put my hope in, in the goat rodeo. Now watch what comes next. After, after politics, because this is a huge idol for America. It literally is. We will push people and push our anxiety, panic, fear, stress, and, and worry on people. Oh, if we could just get them all to vote, then we'd win. That's a huge hope killer. If you live for that every cycle, your hope is going to be dashed. Watch what comes next after that. Watch four, uh, four, five, six, and seven. Many of us believe we've put our hope in this. If I could just do away with all those problems, those pesky problems in life, I want you to see that's a hope killer. You can't do away with problems. Watch, watch what the Son of God, the eternal Son of God, Jesus Christ, was born into problems. Watch this. Joseph also went up from Galilee, from the city of Nazareth to Judea, to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem. Joseph did that because he was of the house and family of David. So Joseph was going back to his place of origin, the place he was born, the place he had friends, the place he grew up playing football, and he went to college and hung out with his buddies. So he's going home. Should have been a homecoming. Watch verse 5. In order to register along with Mary, who was engaged with him and was with child, Verse 6, while they were there, the days were completed for her to give birth. Verse 7, and she gave birth to his firstborn, her firstborn son. She wrapped him in cloths, laid him in a manger because there was no room for them in the inn. This passage is pregnant with problems. It's astounding. And if you take Luke 2, 4 through 7, and you combine it with Matthew, where he was on the run for his life from the point where he was born, Joseph and Mary were going home. 
my understanding of Jewish culture, history, and tradition is they should have been welcomed with open arms. All of their family should have said, no, 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 come stay with us. No, come stay with us. Strangers in the Jewish culture should have said, no, stay with us. Something happened where Joseph showed up with his pregnant fiance and there was no room for them anywhere. And so they lived on the first floor, what was called a stable room where the animals stayed. You see, Jesus was born into problems just like you and I were. Then after he was born, he spent the first years of his life on the run for his life. You see, many of us in America, it's astounding because, because of toxic productivity syndrome, we can do more, accomplish more. If we're just more organized, we can do away with problems. Where are my A-type personalities? If we just schedule better, if I just control things better, just get my Google Calendar. Why don't you use Google Calendar? We can organize our calendars. We'll schedule it. We'll organize it. We'll plan it. No problems. Amen? And that's a perfect plan if you just remove all people from the equation. <laughs> Problem is we deal with people and you can't schedule crazy out of people. It just happens. Yet we believe it. How many of you wake up and you're like, if we could just do away with these little pesky problems, life would be perfect. And I think I can control life, structure, organize life to do away with all problems. It's actual insanity, it's a hope killer. I don't care how organized you are, you cannot organize. I don't care how controlling you are. You can't control problems. Problems are part of the plan. I've known people who've tried to control and organize problems out of life. One of them was my wedding coordinator, her name was Zoe. Zoe went into wedding coordination after she left Al-Qaeda. <laughs> like, I've never seen anything quite like it. Anybody else met that wedding coordinator? Now you will stand here. But why? Silence! You stand here. And, and Zoe, and, and that's what you want in a wedding coordinator, amen? Because you're, it's like herding uh, a mixture of goats and cats who have bred oddly in the wilderness. Like, nobody pays attention strange. Zoe had them all lined up and she told me, I will organize the chaos out of this thing. And I believed her. But do you know, even the day before the wedding, my father-in-law, bless his heart, because his, his daughter was marrying me, he had heart issues and ended up in the hospital. Couldn't organize the, the, the stress, the chaos out of that one. Then we show up, we're all in our tuxedos. My video, our videographer showed up, a Russian, drunk as a skunk. Yeah, I'm, I hear the video, he's uh, the thing. I'm like, you're drunk. I'm not drunk. I'm a recovering alcoholic. I've got 370 days of sobriety. I can smell one part per, per billion of alcohol. You're drunk. <laughs> I had to tell the guy, you believed a Russian lie that nobody can smell vodka. We actually can, alcoholics, like we can. So we put him, we put him up in the balcony. I've got the weirdest vi wedding video ever. So he's behind everybody, zooming in on your bald heads. Like that's our wedding video, like scanning the back of bald heads. I'm like, oh, there's, I could see your bald, like I know who ba which bald heads are which bald heads. Then during the service, one of my groomsmen went down hard. He buckled his knees, wha-bam. You can't organize, you can't structure the chaos out of that. I said, drag him off, let's keep going. I'm on the video. I'm, Oh, he's bleeding? Just plug it. Go, go, go. 
Then after the service, Brooke and I are married. Everybody else has left, but one of the groomsmen, our limo driver doesn't show up. He calls, hey, I can't find Trinity University. I'm like, really? It's the huge tower. Drive to the tower. Yeah, I can't find it. We ended up driving down to Travis Hotel, historic hotel for our reception, in like a 1983 Honda Civic with a big pink fluffy wheel and, and dangly dice from the, from the wind. You can't... See, it doesn't, it doesn't matter. This is a hope killer. If you think you can structure, control, and organize the problems out of life, my hope, and what I want your hope to be, my hope is not in a problem-free life. It is in the one who joined me in the problem-filled life. Problems are part of the plan to mature us. Problems aren't accidental. They're actually part of the plan for you to overcome and be transformed and look more like Jesus. Jesus joined us in the problem-filled life, spent his first years born in a barn and on the run for his life. Now, four minutes left. Watch this next one. This is fun because this will dash all social media. This pursuit of popularity, prominence, power, prestige. Oh, if I just had more prominence, power, influence, then I could make a profound impact for the kingdom. Watch, watch verse 8. Go ahead, pull up verse 8. This is astounding. This is exegetically odd. When you're reading through the Bible, I want you to know the birth of Jesus here in Luke chapter 2 gets 1.5 verses. 1.5 verses. Do you know the shepherds get from verse 8 down to verse 20? 19 mentions. Je Jesus, ha he gets one. The shepherds get 19. Watch verse 8, because I, if you're putting your hope in power, popularity, fear of missing out, prominence, prestige, oh, if Jesus would just give me a greater platform, then I could profoundly proclaim the gospel. It's a hope killer. You're going to be captured by by this evil of prominence and popularity. It's going to capture your soul. Watch verse 8. It's hilarious, actually. In the same region, there were some shepherds staying out in the field, fields and keeping watch over their flock by night. This is so unlike Luke. Luke is a precise, he is giving an eyewitness account, which means he went, got names, dates, places, geography, location. He's precise. It's actually exegetically odd to read through and hear it. There. Well, there were some shepherds staying out in some fields by night. Well, how many? Don't know. There were some. Well, what were their names? I mean, you're given names of Quirinius. We don't even know who Quirinius is, but you investigate it. What were their names? Don't know. Like they're so common, I couldn't even find out who it was. Like, it's, it's kind of crazy. It, you see, in America, we believe if I just, and we pursue this, we've got an entire generation that wants to be famous for being famous. If I just have more of a platform, if I just have more prominence, if I just have more popularity, if I were just an influencer, then I could be used by Jesus. The opposite is actually true. Like when he wanted to really do something great, he had some shepherds show up at the manger. I don't know how it was for Joseph and Mary sitting there and all of a sudden Cousin Eddie, Joe Dirt, and Bobby Boucher show up. 
And if you don't know who that is, you, Christmas Vacation, you need to watch that. Uh, Joe Dirt, um, name of the person, name of the movie, need to watch that. Bobby Boucher, Waterboy. Then you'll start understanding. And exegetically, historically, this is odd because the angels make the announcement to sh- some shepherds. Imagine Cousin Eddie, Joe Dirt, Bobby Boucher watching the sheep. They say, let's go tell Mary who just had the baby. So they go tell Mary, they all are in awe and wonder, and then the shepherds return. Now, I don't know if you've ever taken marketing, advertising, or anything. That's actually not how advertising works. You don't get redneck spokesmen missing many teeth to be your, the medium is the message. So what is this telling us? It's telling us that there are not many wise, mighty, or noble people that God uses. You see, they get caught up in popularity, prominence, prestige. He loves to use the weak things, the foolish things, the base things. and the, He loves to use the ones that this world says they're worth nothing. And he says, good, I'll use the Cousin Eddie's. I'll use the Cousin Eddie's for my glory. You, you see, our hope... Uh, is not in the fact that we're famous or fancy. This has become a huge issue for pastors. You know it's all about fame. How do I get a bigger platform, more notoriety, more fame? Jesus doesn't want me fancy or famous. He just needs me faithful to preach a very simple message. Christ has been crucified for our sins according to the scripture. Christ was buried. Christ rose again. Do you know you're putting your hope in prominence, popularity, prestige, and platform, you're going to miss the Prince of Peace. You're going you're to spend your life chasing popularity, and I guarantee you, popularity will capture your soul. You will be owned by people. You will be a people pleaser because you will live for the approvals and thumbs up of people you've never even met. See, our hope isn't in popularity. It's in the Prince of Peace who uses nobodies like me to tell everybody about the somebody who can save and change anybody's name. It's Jesus. Now, we're a minute over. Let me, let me recalibrate, reorchestrate, and let me end on possessions. This is a big idol. Let's do that. Let's go Luke chapter 2, verse 24. Let's go there. Watch this. This is at the end of the Christmas story. We typically don't get this far. And as you're going through the end of the story, Joseph and Mary take Jesus to the temple to fulfill the law because Jesus was born under the law, but he fulfilled the law perfectly so that he could die in your place for your sin. He fulfilled the law perfectly. He's perfect. Well, they took him to the temple, and when they took him to the temple, it tells us something astounding about Jesus, Joseph, and Mary and their family system. In Luke 2.24, it says this, and they, they offered a sacrifice, M9Y. Right here? Ah, oh, your baby needs you. Nailed it. I didn't know if you could see that or not. Where was I? Oh, verse 24. And to, they offered a sacrifice according to what was said in the law of the Lord a pair of turtle doves or two pigeons. What an astounding statement. Why is that an astounding statement? Well, because it shows up in Leviticus chapter five, verse seven. Anybody memorized through Leviticus? Anybody read Leviticus? I didn't, I didn't 
Listen, last night, it was epically wrong. I took Brooke out, we ate sushi, had bad sushi, so Saturday I showed up, not in a good state, wrote out my sermon outline, gave it, gave him the wrong verse. It was about cutting a bird's neck and bleeding all over, and I read it during the service, and I was like, I don't know what that verse is. But today we've got the right verse. It's Leviticus 5, 7. Yeah, even my kid was like, man, that was a weird verse, Dad, about cutting, but not cutting the head off, just clipping the neck and dropping the blood. I was like, yeah. It's in there, though. Read it. That's Leviticus 5.8. Yeah. But this is 5.7. Watch how gracious God is. Watch how incredibly gracious God is to meet our needs. And this will tell us about Jesus, Joseph, Mary, and their family. You see, many of us, before I read this, m- most of us grew up thinking, if I just make enough money, I'll be happy. Anybody? You don't have to own it. I'll own it for you. My identity was wrapped around if I make enough money. Well, what's enough money? I I don't know. That's subjective. But if I make enough. And so it never matters how much I make. Guess what I want? Yeah, a little more. I bet 3,000 more would do it. And then I'll make 3,000 more. And guess what? Just a little more. And I'll make a little more. It's happened for 20 years. I started out here at $50 a week at Hillside. Astounding. And I was like, I bet if I make 75 a week, then I started making 75 a week. Incredible. Just a little more, a little more. You see, we truly believe it. It's in the DNA of America. It's where toxic productivity, I'll make more and more equals happiness. A philosophical thought dawned on me outside of rehab. If what I have right now isn't making me incredibly happy, why do I think more of the same will? If what you have right now isn't making you incredibly joyful, grateful, and thankful, why do you believe that more of the same will will produce a different result? It's insanity. We're a nation of insane people. We can't enjoy what we have because we want what we don't have. Jesus was born into this broken system. And watch what Leviticus chapter 5 or 7 says. It says, but if someone cannot afford a lamb, which was the sacrifice that was pleasing to God. But lambs cost money. God says, I I get that, but if you can't afford a lamb, then he shall bring to the Lord his guilt offering for that in which he has sinned, what? Two turtle doves or two young pigeons. See, God made provision, even for the poor. What does this tell us about Joseph and Mary? They were poor. And Jesus came into this world, to this world that thinks if I just have more money, then I'll be joyful, then I'll I'll be peaceful, then I'll have hope. You see, it's a lie we've all believed, and we actually encourage our kids. We believe if our kids get the right degrees, the right jobs, they make money, then they'll be happy. We actually encourage our kids, go capture money, only to find out in the decades that money's captured them. It's captured many of our hearts. You need to know at Hillside, we're intentional about this. This is why we never, the Bible doesn't say give, take an offering from the people. Do you know churches can become captured by money? Do you know pastors' hearts can become captured by money? So why it's intentional for us to put it before us. Um, exactly what you have is exactly what you need to do, exactly what Jesus has asked you to do. You, I don't need any, Hillside doesn't need anything more. You don't need anything more. Exactly what you have is exactly what you need to do exactly what he's called you to do. Jesus entered into this world 
impoverished to show us that we don't need money. In fact, pull up 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verse 9. Such a beautiful verse. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, Jesus was rich, yet for your sakes he became poor. He gave it all up so that you, through his poverty, might be made rich. He emptied himself so that he might give you all that he has. And the Father, who did not withhold his only Son, but freely gave him up for you, he won't withhold anything from you. He's given you everything. And when you put your hope in him, you'll find abundant life, abundant peace, and abundant joy. In this world of hope killers, Jesus is the hope filler. 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 17 says this, instruct those who are rich in this present world not to be conceited or fix their hope on the uncertainty of riches, but on God who richly supplies us with all things to enjoy. I call it the David Edwards principle. Write it down, David Edwards. See, many of us are foolish, we're insane, and we don't even know it. You look at, David Edwards is just one. David Edwards Powerball. Look that up. Like 257 million. You look up any of the Powerball people. You know what? They've ruined their lives. They're dead in five years, and they die in debt. It's astounding, and yet that's what we put out there as our hope more money. How can we repent and say, Lord, you've given us everything we need and our hope is in you, not in riches? The hope killer, you need to know if you put your hope in politics, possessions, pleasure, places, people, you will be disappointed. It will dash your soul and you will end up depressed, discouraged, deflated, disengaged, disengaged from your spouse, disengaged from your family, disengaged from your community, because that is what sin does. It kills hope. But I pray that you would see that there is a hope filler. He was born in a goat rodeo political system. He was born with no stately former majesty, no popularity, no possessions. But we have a hope that goes beyond this world and our hope has a name. Our hope has a name and our hope has marked and divided history. When our hope showed up, we, we gave him many names. The Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the end, the first and the last, the King of Kings, the Lord of Lords, the Prince of Peace, the bread of life, the light of the world, because he is those things. But one of my favorite names for him is Emmanuel. See, our hope has a name, Jesus Christ, Emmanuel, God with us. And in a world that if you put your hope in it, it will disappoint, I can guarantee you today, Jesus, when you place your hope in him, he'll never disappoint you today. Would you repent of those things you're putting your hope in? Because your hope's in, it's gonna be dashed if it's in anything other than the Prince of Peace. And today, would you say, Jesus, I hope in you. I look forward to your return and I celebrate you, Emmanuel, God with us. Let's pray and let's sing to him together. Father God, thank you this morning for the beauty of your word. The fact that you entered this system through your son in a political goat rodeo Father, in all kinds of chaos, with no possessions, no stately form, you showed us 
No one who hopes in you will be disappointed. So I pray today, right now I ask for those who are, are just trying to take that next step towards you. Would you give grace to the hurting, to the broken, to those of us who have put our hope in this world system and it's dashed our hopes. Father, would you give grace to those who are just trying to be sober today and follow after you. Father, for those broken, wrecked family systems that have put their hope in money and profit over the Prince of Peace, would you allow repentance, humility, and grace to humbly come back to you and place their hope in you. Father, thank you that you gave hope a name. Thank you that his name is Jesus. I pray that he would be our hope today and for eternity. It's in his name I pray, amen.